Sam Ochoa, I got a question for you today. My question is this. You, a little while back, we talked about rocket books and whatnot and you dove in and you've been not only using rocket book you've been using a little something else attached to it so i just wanted to ask you what is it that you're using and how are you liking the results of your new found system piece of technology whatever you want to call it how how is it going for you well, you know, you you talked about always learning, Jacob. Always learning. We this podcast, we were hoping that people could learn from us, but I learn every time we talk because you know that's one reason why we started talking to begin with is to learn from each other. And so you mentioned RocketBook because because uh, I think I was complaining, which apparently I've been doing quite a bit of lately, <laughs> but I am happy. I just uh, but. Um, I'm a happy person, I guess, but you know, sometimes you just have to let go, tell people what you think. But anyway, what I discovered from your rocket books, I went and looked it all up, and you said, Hey, they have other things for educators, start looking it up. And so I bought these, they're beacons. And so they're like sticky, but they can be removed and they don't leave like a sticky residue. And so, um, so what I do is, you know, how much I write on the board, like my board is, well, almost days is filled <laughs> with, with everything. Like you'll see, I mean, if you want to know what I'm teaching, all you have to do is walk in and you can see it's all over the place. And so, um, so how do you capture that? And when I saw that, I uh, saw these beacons, it allows you to take your whiteboard and you put your beacons up around like a frame, like they're corners of a frame, and you put those up around your uh, your writing on your whiteboard, and then you can t- you download the app, which you already told me to do, so it's in the app, and so I could set the app to beacons, and then I can do like two hashtags on both sides of my title. So I do my title and put two hashtags on one side, two hashtags on the other, and then it will direct it and it goes straight to a file in my Google Drive. And then I can upload that into Canvas. So whatever we do on my board, I can get it up there before the day's over into Canvas so the kids can keep it as they leave the, you know, if they want to have a refresher or anything when they do their schoolwork, if they have work outside or if I give them homework, which... Sometimes they do have homework, but it's more or less finish what you started. But if they need a refresher or anything like that, they have it with them. And it's really good for those kids who need the hand notes, you know, for uh, the students that might have that as one of their accommodations where they have to have handwritten notes or you have to give them their own copy. Well, this is a great place because all I have to do is I get it in there and everything I wrote on the board, I can just go print it off and I have a document. I I can hand it to them or I can put them on a digital format. So that's one thing I've been doing. And then the other day I was, we were, I've been doing this new thing. Well, I don't know if it's a new thing, but it comes from, from Hattie. It's not new, but it's where the students predict when you start a new unit, you give them all the standards that you're going to teach. And the students predict how well they think they're going to do on those standards. And I gave them like a zero to 10 uh, on each one. They had to rate themselves. So 10 means that you could actually teach it, you know, just from looking and thinking about what it means. You think you could teach that to me or anybody else? That would be a 10. A zero means 
you have no idea what we're talking about and anything in between. So just give yourself a rating. And so, um, so anyway, I've put my little, you know, beacons around that. And so we have that prediction and the kids are able that were absent can, you know, still make their predictions and they don't meet, you know, when I erase it, it's still, it's saved. So, and then I could put it up on my smart board that I have and uh, we can manipulate that. So it kind of turns it into a smart board. So pretty cool. Thank you, Jacob. Yes. I'm I'm glad it's working. You know, it's working for on my end. You know, one of the things that I realized early in um my admin career, uh my super long career that has been a few months going, um <laughs> is I I needed a way to track all the things that like randomly happen in a day and kind of set my agenda, but in a way that is a little bit more uh, like I can't put an agenda on my phone. It's just not really going to work for me. And I use my calendar, but that works too. But there's also so many things that happen like throughout the day. Like my day is almost entirely unpredictable from day to day. Even if I have a Mm -hmm. blank calendar that day, which I never do, but if I did, it would be filled up in just a few minutes because things happen. Someone needs something. Something goes down. I got to break up a fight. I got to, you know, listen to mm-hmm. a, a kid. I got to handle a schedule change, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, using Rocket Books for that. And so what I what it's helped me do is I can take notes. And then depending on that at the bottom, you know, you kind of designate where you want it to go when you take your picture. And so I just have all these folders um, in Google Drive that I've just divided up and they just go to each of those. So I I don't have to reference them all the time, but I have it if I can, because sometimes I just need to go back. And a lot of admin that I work with, they have like running journals that they use, but it's just so... That is so chaotic to me. So I have a journal that just kind of goes forever. It's the same reason why I couldn't do that for conferences. I could just have one journal, which is why I love Notability, because I could kind of split it up. The reason I'm not using Notability, um, because I liked it on my iPad, but I move around so much that uh, I just can't. I don't want to take my iPad everywhere with me. Like, it's just, right. it's just a little obnoxious. You know what I mean? So... Um, the, the, if I lose a rocket book, I'm out like 20 bucks. You know, if I lose my iPad or if I break it, you know, I'm at a thousand. So it's just one of those things to where, uh, it's, it's just working. You know, maybe I will find a way to kind of connect to the iPad, but it's been good. So I'm glad it's working for you, but ladies and gentlemen, what? Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I, was no, about no, to no. Intro. I, was, I know you were, so I apologize. Uh, but one more thing sure. is I did also get the the actual notebook like you're talking about. Yeah. And so what I've been doing is uh, for my conferences and then just my observation of students, I write down everything that they're doing and then I take a picture of that. And then like we have to do for conduct, we have to do conduct tickets. So I just write my little note, uh, students that are, you know, whatever they're doing and I write down what they're doing, but then I put it immediately in my computer and then I just have to copy and paste because it'll change it. Translated into, you know, if I if I print, because you shared that with me too, and then I just put it into my conduct ticket. So it's it's like I'm writing once and not five times. So just saying, go ahead and intro, ladies and gentlemen. This is Craft the Draft. Welcome. That's Pamela Trump, Jacob Chesney. We are two workshop teachers down here in the state of Texas. She's in the classroom. I'm in classrooms. 
as an admin. But regardless, we want to help you with your classroom as we talk about each and everything related to workshop, teaching literacy, and pretty much everything else under the sun. We are supported by our wonderful listeners over there on Patreon. By supporting us, they get access to bonus episodes, training videos, and so much more. And they are Alicia, Brandy, Leah, Mark, Amy, Rebecca, Courtney, Carol, Alyssa, Destiny, Natalie, Susan, Tracy, Andrea, and Hannah. They are keeping the lights on, keeping the podcast going. We're at 15. If we get five more, we're going to start doing a monthly hangout where we can get everyone together, jump on a Zoom, maybe have an agenda, maybe not, but just have some good old conversations, help each other, bring some teacher talk uh, to the table where we can all go. So if you want to be a part of that, come join us at our listener, listener plus tiers. It doesn't really matter where you join us. It's all about what you can do and what you want access to. But regardless, today we're going to be talking about a couple things. We're going to, we're going to hit up a question from one of our Patron, patrons who uh, has been supporting us for a long time. She's having some trouble, so we want to help her a little bit. And then uh, we're going to dive into standard-based mini-lessons. Why using standards? What are standards useful for? Why should we start with that? And why is that something that we talk about so often? All of that and more on this episode. All righty. Miss Ochoa, before we do that, I have a I have a follow up email from someone we spent the last few episodes talking about uh, grading to some degree. Last episode we spent pretty much the whole episode, episode one twelve, called "How Grade Centric Is Your Class." Um, we had a comment from Angela. She says, "Thank you. I appreciate you talking about my question." She clarified the ALP issue was talking about was something in Ontario that teachers individually do every year to plan how we will grow as educators. So it's what we thought it was, kind of, mm-hmm. kind of like their little plan. We have a similar thing to here down here in Texas. She says, "I feel like I have an okay handle on reading workshop and need to do better with writing workshop and how to get them both." done. Well, there are plenty of episodes, Angelina, out there. I'm sure we'll cycle back into that. So Godspeed as you jump in. Send us a question about writing workshop as you're jumping in and how to balance them. We have tons of episodes about it, but you know we're always willing to circle back and answer more. Now, before we get to another question, I want to jump to um, a comment that we got from one of our listeners. She's having some trouble tracking data, right? We want to bring some some awareness to this. I know our Patreon uh, supporters, uh, they might not have seen it. So if you're on the, the Patreon and you haven't seen this, go jump and see if you can offer Courtney some help. But Courtney uh, sent us a, a long comment. I'm going to kind of summarize parts of this, but she says, hello to all. I have a question for anyone who will listen as this year continues to grow more difficult than the last. She says, I'm a workshop teacher through and through. In creating engaging lessons to grow kids as people is what I believe I was called to do. My classroom community and relationships within are my joy as an educator. Preach, preach, preach. She says, the new struggle that seeks to overwhelm me this year is the ridiculous amount of paperwork I am now forced to do for SPED, ESL, and RTI students. In the past, support teachers and case managers tracked data on these students, and I was free to teach my lessons and support all students. This year, I am in charge of it all. The daily tracking is required For the students, I'm currently required to have 14 data points slash grades for each specific goal these students have, and they're all 
different. My daily grades do not directly target a specific goal, so I'm having to make little assignments for each student-specific goal to track progress. Guy, you can already see it mounting, just hearing how this is all going. Mm -hmm. She says, um, I'm not able to focus on planning my lessons, and my students aren't getting the best of me as I spend all of my time with the kids and Paperwork. She says any and all feedback is so appreciated. She also adds one moment, one uh, comment for context. She says one example of what she's dealing with is a student goal might be give in a paragraph or passage within five to ten errors. The student will identify and correct the errors with fifty percent. She says I don't give passages or worksheets for students to edit. Students edit their own writing in context. I am trying to use edits as the data point, but the five to ten error part of this goal is not present. Lord have mercy, Miss Ochoa. We all know. I mean, the paperwork is wild. You know, it's one of the hidden. Uh, sorry, I'm situating myself. It's one of the hidden. Um, challenges of teaching, right? And honestly, an admin Mm -hmm. too. the amount of clerical work I have to do as a high school principal is mind boggling. You couldn't have paid me to predict the amount of time. And I just, so I'm having, I'm having similar struggles where I'm having to develop systems to do things that aren't necessarily quote unquote, my job. Now, obviously they are my job, right? They're, they're a part of that, but it's, it's not the action of the job. It's not that. And that's similar to what Courtney's facing, right? She's facing this mountain of paperwork. She's being asked to track all of this data. It's pulling her away from what she deeply loves. So Miss Ochoa, you, you've had many roles and you've, you've had many things and your dad has been quoted on this podcast several times of saying, get Get your paperwork paperwork done. done. So you don't do any. He'll still tell me that he's so funny. So we'll be sitting at dinner, and he goes, he'll go. Are you still getting your paperwork done? That's important. That's right. <laughs> and so I, you know what? I hear that quote all the time. That's honestly that people like we think about the merch quotes we need. That's one we need on a that's shirt or something, especially after this episode. So and you know he'll probably feel good about that. It'll make him. He would like it. His legacy is spreading across the globe. But regardless, when it comes to you, I mean, when you're at the, if you think about the busiest times where you've had like the most amount of paperwork, right? And, and just stuff that you had to keep track of for a variety of reasons. How did, how did you manage that? I mean, how did you overcome that initial shock? Cause I feel like that's the hard part, right? It's when you have this mm-hmm. wall of to do's and paper, that you know you have to get done, but you almost don't even know how to approach it because it's just so much. How do you even think through that process? Well, I just now had a thought, and that was a memory, actually, when I was an academic coach. One of my first challenges was my particular uh, English teacher team, they they had all of a sudden we had all of these things we had to do and we had to get it all graded and they gave us an impossible task. It was over 600 essays in a short amount. I mean, it was, it was, it was, it was terrible because everything was due at the same time. And uh, they were like, and, and we had to get it graded and we had to follow the standards. And I know it's not the same as the paperwork that she's talking about that Courtney's talking about, but it was still stuff that had to be done and we had to have it recorded. And with the, that's the problem with technology today is when, when I started teaching, we didn't have all this technology. So it was due, but they gave you more time. 
Now they've done with technology is you have the same amount of time, but they've added more to it because you can do more faster, but they, they really haven't given you when you're grading those papers and you're doing all that, it's still the same amount of time that it took before we had the technology when I just had to enter it into a grade book. So, but they've shortened the time because they think you can do it faster. But yet an English teacher for sure still has to read the essays and they'll say, well, you can go to tutor.com or whatever and they'll read it for you. But I still, in order to, I can get everybody to read those essays, but if I don't read them, I'm not going to know how to help my kid. I mean, I have to at least look at the work. So it's not the same as far as this paperwork goes, but this was a moment where all of these teachers were overwhelmed. And it sounds like a lot like Courtney here. So we had to get it done. We had a certain amount of time. And so what we did is kind of how we divide up um, novels. When we're trying to get novels done, you go, okay, I have 600 pages. Not really, but usually in a book. But, you know, let's just say, I don't know why I'm into 600 today. But anyway, 600 pages, we only have three days to read it. How many pages do we need to get done? You know, and you divide it. So what we did is we, we looked at our due date, and we knew they would start complaining about us not having it done if we didn't do it early. So we looked at the actual due date moved it a day up, and then we looked at about how many papers we would do, and then we divided the time. And so what we would do is we would take our planning time or our PLC time at the time, and we would say, okay, we're going to get this, we're going to set a timer, and we're going to get this much done in 10 minutes. So we would set a 10-minute timer or a 15-minute timer, depending on how many how much it needed to be done. Because we also had to do our other stuff. We had to do the data study. We had to do uh, paperwork like she's talking about. We had to um, do our plans and everything else like that. So we would take 10 minutes. We would set a timer. Somebody would be responsible for the timer. And then we would actually work as hard and as fast as we could in that 10-minute time period. Then we wouldn't grade a minute more. The minute that that timer was off, we didn't do any more paperwork. We did the other work we had to do, the planning, the discussion, whatever we had to do. The next day, 10-minute time period. And we walked in. We didn't waste time. Everybody started grading. And and 10 minutes. I'm wondering if something like that might help this situation because she's got to have all so so like maybe how many students does she have right how many different things and maybe set a time every day in my planning period I've got to get at least I don't know how many there are and I don't know how impossible the work is so that's the only thing is I don't know like is it is it um and it anecdotal notes or is it you know hitting a button I don't know what exactly what the paperwork is, but whatever it is, she sets her own goal that says, okay, I'm going to do this for 15 minutes. Okay. Then after that, I'm going to do the next 15 minutes and you almost have to set yourself a time, but every day that you have a moment, you know, you just kind of look at your schedule and set a time that you have to have that done, but look at your deadline first. And that's how I organize things is I look at my deadlines and based on my deadlines, that's when I choose to do it first. So whatever's due first, I do first. If it's due first, I do it first. And that's just it. And then the other thing that prioritizes this is if I'm, um, who who's going to see it? How much does it matter? And this kind of paperwork matters because 
they're going to talk to you about that. So I would look at my paperwork. I prioritize it by what they're going to look at first and what they're going to talk to you about first. (laughs) But I would definitely save at least 10 to 15 minutes during that your planning period for your planning. And so you just, but you just got to almost, you know, do it like that. Um, when, when I had five subjects that I had to teach at middle school all at the same time, and they were, three of them were star tested subjects. I would, during my conference and during my lunchtime, I never did come at that particular year. I had, nobody even knew I worked there. They put me in a portable. Nobody even knew I, I was new at the school, and I'm telling you, most of the school didn't even know me because I would stay in that room, and I would have uh, to do my lesson plans. I would do them, but I would have all my bell ringers, if you will, the same. I would have, like, if we were all right, if we were going to write in science, we would write everywhere. You know, we would do the same type of activity. It was just the content was different. So my mini lesson would be different based on my content that I had to do. But the actual assignments were the same. Just, you know, if we were writing, we would write about the science. We would write about the history. We would write about our own choice, depending on the t- the subject. Uh, if we were reading, it would be we'd read a science article. We would read a history article. You know, we'd read whatever. So, and then I would, I would plan all of that out, but I would do it and I would do it all at one time, but I would keep as much the same as possible. So the other thing I'm thinking about here, I was wondering if she would, if, if a spreadsheet where you have all the students' names and then you have all of their stuff. And so that when you're um, working with the student, you can, you can, um, I guess, punch whatever or, input whatever you need in that little spreadsheet uh, to track those points. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, you covered a lot there, which is good, but Um, I, I, uh, and for me, it's, it's, I think for when you're thinking about how to, how to track a lot, one, honestly, I think what she should do is she might have already done this, but for anyone else who might maybe haven't taken the step, you know, go to your admin and say, look, I don't, I don't understand how I'm supposed to get this done. Do you have advice? Do you have point? Like how is similar people getting this done? And even if they're not doing it the way you want to, sometimes seeing someone else do it will give you an idea. You can twist what they do. You can modify, et cetera, et cetera, and kind of come up with your own system. So that, that if that hasn't, if that step hasn't been taken, I would do that um, because they're that, you know, they're there to help. And if they're, even if they're not that helpful, maybe they can at least give some examples on, on what to do. Uh, using Courtney's actual example that she talks about where the, the passage needs to be edited. You know, that's something that I would honestly, like if if they, if she's having to do a lot and they all have different goals, I would almost set up, you know, within the workshop, like even having an area where you can do that. I know when our campus, uh, when I was a literacy coach, you know, we were really starting to push guided reading and I was trying to figure out how to merge guided reading within the workshop format. And so I just made like a little teacher table, right? And I pulled those kids in. And maybe if she can't do, if they don't have similar goals, maybe she can pull the ones that are kind of close enough to it 
for that day, that Monday, and then at the teacher table, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, however long it takes, that's where she can do that while the other kids are reading and writing independently. The next day, do the next group of kids and that. Maybe do it individually. Um, I don't know. But having that just space where you're at and just that way you can kind of streamline it. And maybe you could – maybe you only did it – it depends on how many goals you have to track. But um, maybe you only do it a few times a week, right? Maybe – Monday, Wednesday, Friday are your teacher table days, or maybe Wednesday, Friday is your teacher table days, or maybe Friday is your teacher table day. Like it just, and just, and find ways to pull them in to that way you have a specific thing. But when you pull them in, it needs to be at times where the other kids are independently working on their workshop writing on their reading. Um, and then you can get up, right? If you have a kid, for instance, that has to check, errors in a paragraph. I love that you're talking about them checking their own in their writing, but we talk about this all the time on craft and draft. We, we still have to contend with stuff that isn't in that natural format, right? We still have to teach grammar analysis, right? On, or error analysis and grammar, because that's going to be on the test. We still have to teach multiple choice selection because that's on the test. So I I love that she's super passionate about it, but it's it might it, it sounds like it's one of those things you're just gonna have to do. So if that's the case, then don't be afraid to just throw that in there. It doesn't have to take forever. It doesn't have to take over your entire lesson. Just bring them in, have them do it for ten minutes, sit them down, have them do it at the small table. You walk around conference with two kids while they're doing that. Circle back. You have your data point right. So I would just figure out. That and basically almost like in my head, I used to at, at the top of my workshop, which was, I don't know, I've, I've had different versions, but my most favorite one was the the group that was in Rightfully Empowered when they were sixth graders. That was my favorite workshop I ever had because I literally had my classroom transformed depending on what I was doing. So if it was a mini lesson, kids came to the front of my class on the carpet. I was kind of off to the side with my document camera, but they were all really close to me. And so they, they came up and sat on the floor. So their brain knew that when we were there, this was mini lesson time, right? And they had their craft books and they were taking notes or doing the model text or whatever. And then we went to work time, they would all go spread out. And then twice a week, three times a week, I would go sit at the, my teacher table and I would pull kids in for writing or reading or whatever. And I feel like if Courtney had something like that going, some type of system, just changing where things are going and and what happens at different stages, I think, I think it could be a little bit more manageable because if, if you have a completely open workshop and kids are already and they're independently reading and writing, that is really hard to pull very specific data points if you're having to track it for this type of stuff, right? For, mm-hmm. or sped paperwork or, uh, uh, English language uh, support or even RTI and stuff like that. So that that those would be my first two things. And then I think my third piece of advice is honestly just figuring out how to mix the data in with what you're already doing as possible as soon as possible. So like you can do it in if if your mini lesson can be something that you tackle. I mean, you could have a mini lesson about grammar and then pass stuff out and then give that kid 
something specific that they have to do. You could also do it as a class. Like you, I don't think there's anything wrong with taking those moments out of your workshop. Yeah. It takes away from some of that authenticity, but you know, we, I think we beat the drum more than anyone on this podcast. Our show is, you know, we, we live in the real world too, right? We still face right. the same restrictions. We have very similar things. And so part of this podcast is us having moments where we go, okay, so how do we do what we want to do within systems that aren't always correct or, <laughs> or, or, or conducive to the workshop model, right? Cause these people mm-hmm. that come up with these rules and these, these things is, uh, they don't, they don't always think about. The realities, and honestly, I have a bonus point that I, that just triggered, which is, and this is a mindset shift where, yes, tracking tons of data can be super obnoxious. My wife is facing something similar. I'm facing similar things as an AP. Pam has is is definitely facing similar things and just trying to to move kids a certain way. But one one way to just shift your mindset is, especially for special needs kids, kids that are learning new languages, kids that are on RTI, those data points are designed to help them. So if you can shift your mindset and say, man, I have to do this, it's like, man, how do I do this as as effectively as possible because this is what they need and what I need to help them grow? I think that might help just your mental state to where you, you feel a little bit more creative because the worst, the the, the number one killer of, of problem creativity or solution creativity is when you just feel like everything's miserable and the world's crumbling down. That's when you're not creative at all. So if you can just shift that a little bit, I think it could work. I think you're in the right spot, but I don't know. Well, it, I like I like what you said there. It it, it does change. And, and you're right. If we look at it from the viewpoint of how is this helping that child, I have to do this so that I can ensure that that child is growing. And that's really what you're doing. But I also had a little bonus too, when you, when you were talking about the, you know, the, the paragraph that she has to do as an example, and you use it in the lesson, well, you could have the students write their own on one side, and then you do your mini lesson like you're talking about. And then in their, in their craft book, you know, you do the mini lesson on the right side, and then you take their that paragraph after you correct it or whatever, and you give it back to them, uh, or right then and there, they paste that in to their notebook, their craft book on the left side, and then they use that as a model. Now they go into that piece that they've written, and then they can see if they have any errors that they need to correct based on what they've learned. So now you've you've taken that that moment and turned it back into a workshop moment and included your craft and draft journals. So that was just something I was thinking of. Boom. Now, I want to say this. If anyone hears random banging on my side, it's because I got a new puppy and my dog and they like to wrestle. And my office is like under the stairs. Like Harry Potter, and they're just like jumping around over there, apparently just vibrating this whole space. If you, if you hear that, it's not bombs dropping. It's it's a it's a baby pit bull and a, a lab mix thing wrestling on my stairs. So anyway, well, that's <laughs> well, that's funny because I start looking around trying to figure out what noise it is, and I'm thinking that it was my cat who's jumping up. Oh, so onto you can hear that tree. Well, I don't know. <laughs> If I can hear you or if that's actually mine. So I have wrestling cats and you have wrestling dogs. We got it going on. Now we just need wrestling fish. I'm kidding. That was weird. 
That's so funny. Anyway, okay, so standard. I, I want to talk about this today, and we mm-hmm. we have a we have a good enough time. I feel like thirty minutes is probably good, or for or uh, twenty five, whatever we decide to hit. But our, uh, I, I think this is important to to kind of go back to because the, one, the whole craft book system for anyone that is is a part of the Patreon who has seen anything we've posted, we always start with the standard. It's it's one of the things that I feel like our district at the time, your district still, not mine, they they really honed in and ingrained in us. But it, it honestly, I just think it is uh it's so powerful because it grounds the teaching. But the starting at the standard, why do you first of all, do you know the history of that? You're so good at like kind of getting some of that. Is there a can you track kind of where that idea came from or if, if not for to a specific person or something like that to like an era, like when that was that, was that something that came from like kind of workshop like back in the eighties or is the, is this a more modern take on teaching? I, I honestly don't know. Well, I, I know that when I first started, we had, they, I, and I started in the eighties. So um, I remember where we had to write down the standards and we had to show every standard that we were doing. And I know that in the eighties and the nineties, the board of education in, in the um, federal side of it, um, they, they went through this whole thing about standards based stuff. And I know like in geography, they wrote the national standards. So everybody, we had had a bad report. Um, which seems like we have always have a bad report for U.S. schools. But anyway, they decided back to the standards. Now, I don't know how accurate I am there. I just remember my own experiences where all of a sudden I had to start writing the standards. And then somewhere in the 90s, we had to start putting them on the board. And then Jill McTie comes out with a book, and I think it's Jill McTie, and it was backward design. And this whole idea that you need to create the test first and that you need to have it standard-based first. And then once you create the test, because what was happening is, what was happening, and and I I know I didn't finish my sentence, but what was happening back then is we would make these 100 question test and uh and we would make all of that but we would make it after we taught the lesson it was like oh my goodness i'm already finished with this and i need to have a six weeks test so then you would write this six weeks test it might hit what you taught you don't really remember what you taught and so it was a hit or miss it was almost like your tests were there to be uh gotcha moments versus really working with the students and making sure they have the standards. So I know that Jim McTie came out and he he came up with this backward design. I don't know how far that goes back as far as the research, but I do know he wrote a book about it. And so this idea was you give them the standard and you use that standard to create your test. And then now you know exactly what you're going to teach. So you're not necessarily teaching to the test. You created the test. So so it's not like you're trying to, I gotcha, you, you're using that test and you're using those standards to develop the lesson so that everybody can can learn and it can be tracked and you can prove that they learned. And I think that, uh, I know that that came out pretty strong around year 2000 for, for me personally, when people started pushing that um, 
strongly. And then all through 2000, I would say, yeah, 2003 through uh, now is when we started, like they would come around in our district and start making sure you had that up. Um, you know, the, uh, there was a moment where it was an essential question that you always had up. That was also Jim McTie, uh, but that's a hit or miss in our district. But sometimes having that essential question and you make it more of a generalization and you teach them through using generalizations. But either way, they always have to have an objective or a standard to have to teach to. Did I answer your question? Yeah. I mean, it's it's pretty interesting because it, I don't know. I mean, I was kind of. It's what they they drove to us, and I started teaching social studies my, when I first started. Um, and the standards were so huge; it would be like oh, there's name, so many of them. It'd be well, yeah, it would be like name the import or the describe the significance of it. It would list like thirty five people. That's a really hard standard mm-hmm. to do, but English is a little bit more focused, and it was just something that we've talked about. Uh, where I'm at, this is something that's kind of. I don't know if it was there and it went away or if they're just now starting to do it because they have like what they call uh, essential questions and driving questions. Yeah. See, that's what I'm, that's, that's also Jim McTie and that sets up backward design as well. But that's where I was talking about what you're talking about. That, that was a move for a while. And Mm -hmm. so, and I like those, but they're honestly, they should like, it should be the standard. Like if you're going to, you can take the standard and make it a question. Right. Right. Um, but I, I just feel like that, that adding that standard piece, it just grounds everything in the teaching. And I'll, I'll give a good example. Um, I was, uh, doing, a an observation with a teacher. We were, they had asked me to kind of come in and we were talking through stuff and I had written down what their, uh, question was, and we all know that you just because the standard of the day is the standard of the day, uh, it, you might not hit every part of that standard, right? You might be building up to being able to do that standard, right? If you're teaching, you know, analyze how structure affects meaning of something, well, you might have to understand structure first. You, you know, there might be a, a stepping stones leading up to that. So, with that aside, I knew that was the thing and I wrote it down. So the whole lesson, I'm waiting for the answer to the question, right? And it never really Mm -hmm. comes. It's kind Mm -hmm. of implied, but we never really close that out. And so starting with that, starting with that standard, right, we will analyze how conflict affects plot, right? That standard is saying that over and over again, even if you ask a bunch of other things. So when I, when I would set up my, my, craft book mini lesson. I would have that. We would discuss conflict. If we, if we didn't really know, we would discuss plot if we didn't know, or have a, you know, kind of bring back some uh, background knowledge. And then I would ask several questions. Cause I would just, usually when we read, I would start off with soft questions like, you know, what's happening. What's our ha- check that comprehension level, go a little bit deeper, a little bit deeper by question four. I'm going to ask something that's pretty in line with that standard um, as much as I can. And that's how by the end of it, I would go, yes, we can do this. Right. Or no, or we can kind of do this or maybe not. So tomorrow we're going to redo this and maybe use a different story to kind of capture that. But I always, it's like my anchor, right? It's the, it kind of reminds me. It's also like at the end of a lesson, if I'm looking back going, okay, so how did my students do? I've definitely walked away going, well, I didn't even really address the standard. <laughs> and, <it> was, <laughs> and those are the hidden, uh, those are the hidden gaps that happen, right? When we, 
Mm-hmm. When when you're in workshop, some of the I think some of the pitfalls of workshop teaching is sometimes you can get too far away from the curriculum, scope and sequence, or the standard, right? Because there's there's so many rabbit holes you can go down when you're talking to students or when you're working through their writing or their reading, right? And unless those standards are ingrained in your head, right? If you're teaching a new subject, um, like me being at the high school level, I have to constantly re- reference stuff. And I'm even helping, I'm over world languages too, so I'm having to learn their standards. And so I'm, I'm, I don't have that in the back of my head, so I have to to constantly reference them, but it's, so it, it can be challenging. So if you're teaching in a way that is trying to get that authentic buy-in from T or from students and getting them to have conversations and, and really getting them to be engaged, regardless of what you're teaching, um, that it, I think it becomes even more important to be grounded in that standard. Does it mean you can't play within that realm, right, and have fun and go off on your tangents and, and do all of these other things? But at the end of the day, when you're going, did my students learn what we set out to learn? It needs to be in line with that standard and specifically that verb, right? If you're, mm-hmm. if it says to analyze or synthesize and all you did was identify, then you did, the kids didn't get to the level of the standard. And you know, just as well as I know, that is one of the big troubles when you work with standards is sometimes we think we're doing it because we're talking about plot, but we're really not doing what that standard is asking us to do. And I, I don't know. I think that is once that process clicked for me, um, it, it just, it, I think that's what made the workshop so much more effective because it wasn't just independent reading, independent writing. It was independent reading, independent writing with a clear focus. I don't know. What do you think? Oh, yeah. No, I I think you're right. And you have to start with the standard. And I think I mentioned when I answered my question at the beginning, uh, the, uh, Hattie talks about that prediction and that's actually, um, that's my learning plan. You know, we have to have a learning goal or whatever. And so my my goal, my teacher goal this year is to use this reflection where the students, they, they you give them the standard ahead of time. And I gave them a series of about 16, whatever the standards are. I just go down the list and all the new standards is what I put up there. Because, you know, a lot of these are reoccurring for us and they spiral. So the ones that are brand new, those are the ones I put up there and the students have to rate themselves on those standards. And they're predicting how well they already know the standard. And what Hattie says in his research is that this self-reflection, the self-prediction of how they're going to do on the standard helps them actually learn it better. And they, and through his research, uh, he determined that it, there, there really was a significant data point that would, would actually show that it had impact on learning. And so I thought, well, I'm going to try it. So this is really kind of an action plan, you know, to see if it, or an action research to see if it works. So I've been doing it and I will tell you that I didn't do it at the very beginning of the year, my very first test and my kids didn't do that well. What's interesting is I did it this time and my mastery in one class went out all the way up to 61 and that was with the pretest. We haven't even done the regular test yet. We haven't even done the unit, but just showing them the standard and just letting them kind of work through that and predict what they knew or what they didn't know when they actually, and then, and then I gave them the test. We did that 
first, and then I gave them the test next, the pretest. We haven't even taught the information yet. And so they've already gone through that information, but we only did it through the standard. So it's kind of fascinating. I'll have to see with some of these other tests and other units if it continues to work. But I just noticed there was a huge improvement from when I didn't do it to when I did do it. And I, I'm not sure. I don't have enough information yet to know. But then when I, like you said, we when I do my mini lessons, that's the first thing they do is I talk over the standard. I was in a meeting the other day, and they were talking about making the standard student-friendly. Well, I don't make the standard student-friendly. I teach them the language of the standard because, and so there people feel differently about that, and I'm not here to argue or for or against. I don't, I mean, everybody's entitled to what they think is best for their kids, but what I have learned is if I teach them, if it says synthesize, and I teach the word synthesize, I'm I'm, in, I'm increasing their vocabulary, but I, they also now understand what it is they're supposed to do with that standard, and so I actually teach the vocabulary in the standard. That's where a lot of my vocabulary comes from. And uh, I just find that it's very helpful. So I do agree with with using the standard. I didn't always do that because we didn't have to. I didn't understand it when I was younger, uh, exactly how it fits. But now that I've um, done a lot of teaching, if you will, and I've tried all these different methods, um, starting with the standard definitely can prove to my administrators that I am teaching what I'm supposed to be teaching, even if I'm doing workshop, and that at the end, if they're successful, you know, and plus that then it shows them that, but also I can look and see, whoops, we're still low on on uh, this one, even though they and they predicted they would be low. So now what am I going to do to fix it? And so then that's where I start working on my data. And I'll take that particular standard and no matter whether it's in my unit or not, I'll figure out a way to weave it back in and reteach it until we finally get it. I think it's, I think it's great. I, uh, you know, the other thing, and you kind of touched on it there a little bit was it, it lends itself, especially if you're in a tested subject, right? A tested grade level. Right. It lends itself to building that language so kids become associated with it, right? It's one more way to work in vocabulary is working with standards, right? Because standards aren't always kid-friendly, especially if you're working with elementary kids. Um, it is not always something that is easily comprehensible. But, I, you know, I think there's value in breaking it down and, you know, having kids use that language. It's one of the reasons why I really love that uh, – that assessment chart that um, I, I added a version of it and rightfully empowered, but we've shared it with our craft and draft people before is, you know, just having kids be able to evaluate their own writing kind of within the language of that, because the more you use that language, the more they adopt it. I, it still cracks me up, you know, kids that are off in high school, they send me their pieces and they, they, they speak in that language, right? Because everything we ever wrote was, we didn't use the word essay. We didn't use the word assignment. We always said pieces, right? What piece are you Mm -hmm. working on? So they still say, Oh yeah, you know, we're, you know, I I wrote a piece, but I I wrote an essay for my high school teacher, right? Like, it's so funny to have the, that just kind of, uh, dynamic, but it was because that's the only language I talked about. And that was, that was a, that was a, Active choice on my part is I tried to always speak in language of writers when I was talking to writers, and I always tried to right. use language of reading when I was talking to readers. And um, I think that can connect to the standards, right? I, 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 I really do. I love. I, 
I wouldn't say I love them. That's a little extreme. I enjoy our Texas standards. I think they're decent, right? I mean, they're yeah, they're, they're everything can have improvement, and I you know you can nitpick, but in general, I really do like how our standards are written. And um, I know some people are Common Core who listen to this, and there's issues with that. I've never taught through Common Core. I've seen the standards, obviously, because. Um, I've had to study them for various reasons, and I've seen resources that use them. I, I don't have a, a concrete opinion on how those are written, but I, I know Texas is – we're not too divorced from how those are written. They're pretty common to the point that we've, we have side-by-sides of them, right? Like they're, they're, they're not that separate. Regardless, that's a tangent. My point is, is you know, I think coming to just – even if you don't like your standards, if you're in a state where you just kind of feel like things are lacking – I think just having that as kind of like your base floor, I think what it does, it it allows you to really connect uh, your teaching to your curriculum, even if you're someone who might be a little bit like me and is not afraid of going away from the curriculum every once in a while and, and you know, bending it to your will, so to speak. It's that is your that's like your thing. That's one thing. No one, regardless of if I was following curriculum or not, and I've had years where I followed it very closely and I've had years where I just cast things out and I did my own thing for sure. No one could ever walk in my room and say I wasn't teaching to the standard, not a single person for I don't know when did I start doing this not for six years they couldn't tell me that <laughs> you know and it was um and and that is I think that gave me a lot of credibility but it also gave me results because when kids got to the test or when they were growing by the end of the year they were growing in accordance to the standard because that's the language and that's my focus for my lessons and assignments and mm-hmm. stuff. And so that's the, you know, honestly, I feel like there should be a book. I should probably, should, maybe I shouldn't say this. Someone will steal this idea, but I feel like there should be a book almost like the, like the, the hidden curriculum of workshop, right? Like, or the hidden aspects of teaching something along those lines, right? Because it's the, I feel like so much of what we talk about here, Ochoa, and 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 what we talk about when, when we're just talking with teachers and when teachers are really having authentic teacher talk, right, We that's when you get into the weeds of all of the things that aren't necessarily spoken about all the time, right? It's really easy to talk strategy. It's easy to... To go on Instagram, to go on Teachers Pay Teachers, to go on YouTube, whatever you want, TikTok, and find all kinds of strategies because they're visible. It's something you can print out. You can copy immediately. But it's all this hidden stuff, right? I mean, I don't think I've ever seen a a professional video from social media that talked about going to the standard, right? Maybe I should do that more like, and and talk about that stuff because I'm sure there's some out there that exist, but it's that. That stuff and and how that applies and how that increases both what we want to do in the classroom and what our districts want us to do, which is be aligned to that so we can actually track stuff and move forward. And really, you know, I would be willing to bet if people aren't using the standard as the core of what they do on your campus and you start doing it, I'd be willing to bet that your district officials will really like you. I've had uh, <laughs> they would <laughs> because here's here's what's happened in my district. Are you ready for this? We were sitting in a meeting. Sure. We were talking with uh, we had the head, the the president, or maybe he, I don't know if he is the president. I think he is. He's he's one of the founders at the very least of Lead Forward. He, oh, okay. He came and sat with us. 
um, we had some district officials and all of the admin team. He was looking at our our data, and he was explaining the new test and how it all connects and how accountability mm-hmm. and all this. And I had what's funny is I I had a little advantage because I already heard him speak. Uh, in Birdville before I left because he was at the leadership conference. That that was the last thing I did there before um, I got the high school job. And so I had already heard him kind of give his spiel. But in that meeting, I was talking about it and I was like, hey, I've already heard you, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, I was like, here's what I'm trying to bring is the admin, you know, is this right? And the things I talked about was focusing on the standard, using assessment tools that can tr- that we can track things in the standard, but also pushing authentic work and stuff. And beat for beat, the head of assessment in our district, she she goes, are she goes, where'd you come from? And I told her, and she goes, well, we're so glad you're here. And she looked at my principal, <laughs> and she goes, he's great. We can't lose him. And she goes, yeah, he was a good hire. <laughs> and it was, <laughs> and this was, was nice. It, well, it was funny because it I, it was honestly a compliment that I needed because I had been I, I had been like I wasn't in trouble, but I had I had made a few mistakes. This goes back to my organization on how I'm growing in that capacity. So it was like it was it was an area where I actually had strings to talk about. Right there's in my right. role, there, I'm developing a bunch of aspects of myself and um and 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 chronicling that as I go and and all of that. But I do still have some strengths that I bring to the role and that happened to be one of them. But it was it was just one of those things to where it's always it's always validating as an educator when you're talking to people who are in in positions of power in a district or people who uh are kind of at a level to where they're overseeing certain things. You know, these are the things that make them happy. And honestly, when they're happy with the knowledge that you're when, – when they know that you're dedicated to standards, when you're dedicated to data, when you're dedicated to moving kids in this academic way, guess what they're less likely to do? They're less likely to complain when you push outside of the box a little bit, when you're a little bit more creative, when you bring in authentic workshop where that might not be the norm. And I think that is – that has been my saving grace. I think my whole career mm-hmm. is 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 walking that line. And so I've I've had eras where I push it one way or another a little bit too far. But in general, I've always liked data and I like the standards and, and going that route. And I think that gives me some goodwill. And I don't think enough can be said about having goodwill with your with your quote unquote superiors. Well, that's true. They do want that. And and the thing is, um, I also use them in a classroom where I I show the kids, this is where the state tells me I have to teach this to you. So this is why you're tested, because the state says I have to teach it to you. I go ahead and tell my little seventh graders that. And they, some of them care, some of them don't. But the whole point is they at least know where I'm getting my content and I, or where I'm getting my direction. Because when they understand where my direction is coming from, they seem to be more apt to go ahead and do it. It's not me just coming up with my own ideas. I'm like, this is where this comes from. This is why we're doing the standard. And out of this standard, this is where this lesson is. And this is how it's going to work on the test. And I, that's what I do. And then, of course, you know, I still do that in my mini lessons. But then I show them how what we're doing out in the field, if you will, in the workshop, I, I come back and show them, look, this is what you'll be asked to do. But look at what you're doing in your real world. This is you and your you know, you have to come up with ideas. You're going to have to be able to write a claim. You're going to have to be able, and this is what you're doing in your own writing. So I, sh- I kind of try to make that connection for them as well once we get the standard all done. So, yeah. 
With that said, ladies and gentlemen, this has been the Craft and Draft Podcast. A big one. I feel like we went deep on, on some things here. I don't know. Let us yeah. know. If you thought we did, subscribe to them. It's any other episodes or this episode every single Friday, sometimes later on Fridays. By the way, apologies for last episode for not being. Usually we try to do it kind of like the, the night before, so it publishes kind of a, you know, at the beginning of the day or whatever. And, you know, we just, you know, we, we've been talking about this and we're all going through growing pains this year. <laughs> and things have been stressful for more reasons than one. We're still loving our lives, but good Lord, things happen, and you sometimes you just don't have any control. But regardless, thank you for listening. Leave a review if you enjoyed this episode. Subscribe if you have not already. And join us on Patreon. By the way, I finally got our short code. So we can just say patreon.com slash craft and draft. If you just search that, it will take you. If you can't do that for whatever reason, then go to craftanddraftworkshop.com or you can click the link to get to our Patreon so you can get access to bonus episodes that no one else hears besides our Patreons. Get access to direct messaging from us that doesn't get lost in emails and a community of wonderful people, plus some trainings and various other perks that go down, such as a craft and draft sticker, craft and draft tote, and some other stuff, and maybe some merch coming down the line. We gotta figure that out, Ocho. We gotta get some we gotta get some merch going down. We have some quotes that we gotta make some shirts with. And I gotta do that for Teach Me Teacher too. So whenever we figure it out, we're just gonna make we're it go put down. It in both places. Also, right. invitation still is out there for anyone who wants to help us track where our questions were. I know y'all are all itching at this opportunity. But we would love someone to help us with that. Uh, if that is something that you're interested in, uh, email us. You don't have to be a patron to do that. We will accept the help from anybody. But if not, we understand and we'll just have to do it ourselves or just completely ignore it and never get back to it. Regardless, thank you for listening. Come back next week. Send, if a, send us a question if you have one and know that we are here 